Welcome to Tormenting Tarmac. On this podcast, we aim to take you on a journey of storytelling, getting to know enthusiasts from different communities and with different automotive backgrounds. It's about fellowship, showing the automotive world it doesn't matter what you love about cars and driving, what matters is that you love cars and driving. We also want to have conversations with you, the listener, about what your automotive passions are. What are the things about the automotive space that bring you the most joy? Talk about your love and our love for all motorsports and continue to learn things from all the different sections of it. We want everyone to be able to learn from one another. And this is a podcast for every level of driver and every level of enthusiast. So on behalf of my co-host, Ron Morris, my name is Jorge Aquino, and we welcome you to Tormenting Tarmac, where the enthusiast never dies. Hey everyone, Ron here. Uh, Before we get started, just wanted to say I was at a hotel when we recorded this podcast on Zoom, uh, and the hotel did not have great internet, so I apologize in advance for the poor sound quality uh, and occasional moments where my side cuts out, uh, but I hope you can enjoy the episode anyway. What is happening, everybody? Welcome to the sixth episode of Tormenting Tarmac, the podcast where the enthusiast never dies. You know who I am at this point, I would hope, but if you don't, my name is Jorge Aquino. It is an absolute pleasure and a privilege to have you guys back listening to us once more. Um, My co-host, my co-pilot, my good friend and brother from another mother, Ronald Morris is in the building in Zoom land. Holler at the people, Ronald. What's going on from Zoom land? Not just from Zoomland, from the Upper Peninsula of the United States of America, right, right on the cusp. Yes, I am in the wintry Great White North. No kidding, man. What's the what's the temperature out there right now? You know, it was a bizarrely warm day today, and it was right around thirty-two degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, but I think I just I was just looking in the low in the next couple of days is below zero, so it'll be right back to really freezing temps. That is crazy. Um, it was a balmy. Actually, we had a low today of 62. Now, that doesn't seem... Well, now, hold on. I'm going to leave the Zoom call right now. No, no, no. Well, here's <laughs> the thing, though. Hold on. Because, and you know this because you've lived, you lived in this fine state for a mighty long time before you went up north. Yes, um, I did. It's, it was 62 today. Mind you, yesterday was 75, and Monday was 82. So I bring this up for it to be a near... 20 degree drop off in two days in the same way that you're experiencing a 32 degree high well, for today. And here, then it can be here, zero I'll show mile. you the high today. It was 42. And 42. And then the tomorrow's going to be 19. Well, the low on Thursday is negative I, five. Negative five. <laughs> That's insane. Um, so Arizona, as many of you know, if you are listening to us from this state, you guys know how weird the weather can be during the winter time. It is very weird because we can go ahead and have a nice 75, 80, 80 degree February winter day. And then the following day, we'll go ahead and drop immediately by 20 degrees. Um, and people will go ahead and say, oh, well, why are you complaining? The problem is that your body gets used to like 82 and then for it to drop to 20 degrees the following day, it does mess with your body. It, nope. I don't care. Hey, listen, no. No, no. whatever. You, you pansy. You used to like this weather. Okay. Oh yeah. 20 years ago to say the exact same thing as you would. Exactly. No. Nope. <laughs> Get out of here. Exactly. Um, today guys, we have a really, really fun, at least to me and at least to Ronald, a really fun episode. Um, since we started the podcast, um, we have spoken about, a little bit about what Ronald does, but not dived into it. Today is that day. Um, and I'm legitimately stoked for that. Um, I know what he does. I have a very good understanding of what he does. He's been kind enough to share a lot of things with me over the past decade since he's been doing it. I can't believe it's been 10 years since you've actually been doing what is your actual dream job, Ron, and you have all the respect in the world for me. It's awesome. Um, and we're going to get into that. We're also because we're going to get into that, it'll allow us to also discuss part of the reasons why we chose to do the podcast the way that we have chosen to do it, Uh, because it's very important. Those two things go hand in hand. So we're going to get into that. Um, But first, um, very cool stuff happened. For those of you who don't know, you probably won't, but we'll share it anyways. Um, 
we haven't recorded in two months just because of life being in the way and that's perfectly fine but over those last two months ronald and i have been up to a couple of different things ronald has been working on cool projects and cool things uh such as getting his barn ready to go so he can finally finish up his corvette build which uh we'll we'll be discussing at some other point in time but that's obviously been things that he's been working on and then myself and we'll go ahead and dive into this now I went to Barrett Jackson for the first time in my life last month. So when this episode drops, it'll probably be sometime in March. We're recording in the middle of February. So I went in the end of January and I told Ronald this and he had been telling me, Jorge, you have to go. You, you live there. It's you, you've waited too long. Go. And I was like, I know, Ron, I've been waiting. Uh, I was able to get free tickets from somebody who works at the event, which is awesome. So shout out to them. But man, oh, man. When I say that it was one of the coolest experiences of my life, with the exception of getting COVID, <laughs> which I did, I have a strong suspicion I got COVID because of the auto show, which sucks, but it's fine. I'm doing great. Um, but it was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful experience. And I would go again in a heartbeat. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole lot more than just cool cars, isn't it? Like, obviously, that's the main part. There's cool cars. But, like, it's not even just an auction. Like, you did. I don't even know if you would have looked at the auction, but you could spend two days there and not even do a single thing with the actual auction itself. Uh, so I had nothing to do with the auction. That was the crazy yeah, thing. So I went on a Sunday afternoon. So it was the second day of Barrett. Um, and uh, for those of you who didn't know, this year was the 50th anniversary of uh, Barrett Jackson, which I thought was awesome. Um, it was supposed to be last year, but they did not do Barrett last year because of the uh, of coronavirus and the pandemic. And I believe this is the first time back that they had been that they had done it since 2020. Um, that being said, I did not do any of the auctions. Um, and that night they were doing a um, a gala uh, in celebration of the 50th anniversary of Barrett Jackson, which I thought was super cool. But that was an invite only, so it's not like I could just show up. Um, and so that was later that evening. So the event closed, Ronald, at about two or three o'clock in the afternoon that day. So I got there around 11 o'clock in the morning. Now, for being there for three hours, four hours, I got to see a lot. I could have seen a lot more. Um, there were um, test drives that you could be taken on with different manufacturers, which I won't mention, but you can do that problem with that is and you know this because you told me Jorge you're gonna wait a long time and it was like almost a two-hour wait and I was like I'm not gonna do that I the line was ridiculously long um and it was crazy and I was like I could do a lot more and I did and you bring up the things that you can do you know you see all these cars that are on display but then you also see this this insane trade show that's happening in the middle of Barrett Jackson that was cool that was pretty amazing. Um, they had choppers for sale. Uh, they had interior design things for your mansions if you wanted to do that. Um, it was pretty incredible. I've never seen so many Rolex Submariners in my life in one place. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <I bet somebody laughs> and by the way, not it. on display. It was the, the people wearing them. Um, and I also met a couple of very cool people, which I hope can be... Um, future guests for the podcast um dupont registry which i've been a big fan of for a really long time it's a magazine um which has um luxury cars on display and ads and stuff like that i met those guys that was a pretty incredible experience because to have read that as a kid and to still follow it closely as i do now and to meet those guys that was pretty cool uh meeting the marketing team from the radford racing school that we have here out here in phoenix that was pretty cool um and just seeing all kinds of different people who was it that, that i told you that i saw that i was standing like just a few feet away from was it mr lingenfelter I remember you told me but i'm not remembering either uh, i think it was mr lingenfelter so ken lingenfelter if i'm yeah, not mistaken something like that. um who is one of the more um prominent tuners uh in the muscle car in the muscle muscle car world sorry i can't talk in the muscle muscle car world I was standing like five feet away from him and I saw him and I was like, gosh, that guy looks really familiar. And I looked it up and I was like, who is this guy? Who is this guy? And I finally was like, that guy looks like Ken Lingenfelter. And I did. And sure enough, it was him. And I was like, son of a gun. And I wanted to say hello to him, but he was standing next to the people that were in charge uh, or the people who manufactured what is now the cool bandit truck, which is really a really sick build. Ron, I think I told you about this. 
it's essentially a pickup which um they did in honor of the trans am from ba- smoking the bandit it is rad it sold at barrett for a very very high dollar which to be fair i'd buy it at that price i think it sold for like in the 200 grand mark somewhere around there and uh i'm gonna say it's totally worth it because it's unique it's fast it's really cool looking the display that they had at barrett was you know with the whole um you know for anybody who's seen the movie the bandit is um trying to go ahead and get his buddy to get from uh, is it from Texarkana to Florida or from Florida to Texarkana? And they're, I don't uh, remember they're the transporting order, but yeah. beer, but they're transporting beer, the Coors to be exact. And so they had the not Coors Light, it's the regular Coors, Coors so it's the crappy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, they had that in the display, and then they had like cotton to go ahead and be behind the tires to make it seem like they were doing a crazy burnout. It was a lot of, it was a very cool display. It was a lot of fun. And that, I think that truck, if you've got the money, I think absolutely it's just a cool build. Um, and so shout out to them. And they started following us on Instagram, which is very cool. Um, nice. Yeah, that's, you know, they were cool people. I was like, that's awesome. Um, but that, it, that was great. Uh, Barrett Jackson, um, what I would do next year is um, get there earlier, A, and then this time see if I can go ahead and see the auctions happen. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, but would I go back immediately? I actually wanted yeah. to go back again it's incredible that cool. week, but I was just wasn't make it back because it's incredible. It's, cool. it's it, it really is. is. And so I highly suggest it if you've never gone to see uh, Barrett Jackson. I, it's just a cool thing. And it was beautiful weather that day. It was like in the 70s um, yep. in January. You can't you literally cannot beat that. Nope. Um, you know, while Ron was freezing his ass off somewhere in Michigan, I was That's right. not. I was shorts and a shirt, brother. Oh, right. didn't yeah. I tell you I was going to hang up? <laughs> um, but uh, what were, what have you been up to over the last couple of months, Ron? Uh, well, I have been uh, working on my pole barn, like you had mentioned earlier. Just about done with that. I can finally get back to working on the vet. So that would be good. Really look forward to that. Um, and then work-wise, I've been going up to our test facility in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan a lot. Um, there, So that's been fun. Flying around, having fun in the snow. Um, yeah. That's awesome, man. You see, your job is so bitching, and we're going to get into it in just a little bit. Now, I've, before. I've done, uh, sorry. Oh, no, uh, go ahead. Uh, also, just did a champ car race in Road Atlanta. Can't believe I forgot to mention that. So That's kind uh, of a big deal, Ron. How did you and I yeah, both forget that? I know. I know. That was a bucket, bucket list track. Unreal uh really lucky did, have, have you mentioned did we mention the track where you were at i know that i Road put it Atlanta. up over the instagram page but uh yeah. yeah yeah so yeah we finished third in class which is pretty awesome yeah. um 14 hour endurance race uh, three of us drivers so it was just i don't even know how to explain it it was just unreal for anybody who's raced that track like on you know forza or video games or watched it on tv the elevation change that you see is like five insane dude. what it really is in real life it's insane in real life just yeah. unreal like you'll there's the first the first corner is a real high speed right hander on the hill and then turn three is like the right hander that's like the apex of the corners at the crest of the hill and like it's completely blind like you're coming up and you're just full commit because you can't see the track on the other side of the hill which is right into another turn and so you just completely full send right over this corner and sliding the car out to the curb on the next yeah. turn. And it's just, and then you come like, you go down, it's probably like, a, I don't know what it is, but it's huge. Yeah. Uh, through the S as they call it, just picturesque track. Amazing. Amazing. Road Atlanta. I'm not kidding. When I say this, I think is probably the best road course in America. Um, I mean, that's, it's pretty ridiculous. It's absolutely worth being in a discussion. Yes, yeah. There's some amazing tracks in the United States. We're pretty spoiled, but absolutely worth it being in a discussion. Yes. Yeah. Because yes. I, I play Forza a lot. Uh, I think I've mentioned this a lot on the podcast in the past, but if not, I do. Pl- I, well, I used to play Forza more, but I've got kids, but Forza is still one of my favorite games. And anytime that I you know, want to race um, an American track, Road Atlanta is one of the first ones that I go to um, on the game. Um, and I know that, you know, Laguna Seca is pretty cool, like really, really yep. cool. The course crew is yep. insane. Another big elevation track. Yep. Absolutely. And then there's Road America in Wisconsin. Um, mm-hmm. and then you, you, of course you've got Coda. Um, yep. 
and uh, it, Daytona is pretty ridiculous, obviously, uh, especially the road course. I mean, the oval is, you know, that's a different level. But the road course itself at Daytona is really cool. But Road Atlanta is a, just a really fast track. I don't think people it expect is, yeah. it to be as fast as it, as it is. Now, um, we've talked about your racing in the past on the podcast. Um, you and your team um, race a uh, little blue Mini Cooper, um, yep. which is much faster than it should be. Um how did you get on with it? I know that you probably struggled a little bit on the straights, but brother, you know, I've seen the footage, um, full send on those corners, like flat yeah, out on well, those corners. It was pretty yeah, impressive. Exactly. So it's my buddy's team and I'm, I'm fortunate to be able to race with them. And, uh, it is for sure the fastest car in the corners and the slowest car on the straight. Um, but like lap times, it's ends up being even on a track with long straights, like road Atlanta, it still ends up being pretty good. Like I said, we finished third in class. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, we're for sure the fastest car in the corners and That's awesome. like going down the back straight, you know, you'll get past and people will just book it right by you. And then they go into turn 10 a there, which is a big, hard break zone. And people will usually break 300 foot or, or even sooner breaking marker there. Like they're breaking really early and we'll go way past the 100 foot. Because, you, because you're so much just, smaller and yes. don't have as much power. Yes. And yeah. you can just like freaking throw it in there, huck the boat anchor out, stop the car real quick, turn and, and get back on the gas. Uh, awesome. And it's like, you'll make up 20, 30 car lengths. Sometimes it's insane going in zone there. One day, Ron, Run, one day, one day I'll pull that off. I know I will. Um, but that's awesome. And congratulations to you and um, uh, Dylan um, and the team, yep. man. It just really cool dude. If I'm not mistaken, we'll at some point be on the podcast and I'm very, he's got, he's definitely got that. an yep. open invite. He, uh, I yes. hope he knows that. So um, yes. shout out to him and his team and to you for such an amazing performance. And I'm really proud of you guys. I was posting it as much as I possibly could on the Instagram page. I was tagging. Thank I you. know Ron kept on seeing it and he's like, oh my God, stop tagging me. But I couldn't <laughs> help it. I was so freaking proud of you, man. Um, and yeah, so it was really, really, really cool. And um, again, congratulations on that. Um, Let's get into this or that. We've done this or that's in the past. We love doing them. We usually save them for the end of the episode, but we really want to get into the meat of what we're going to be talking tonight. So let's go ahead and do a this or that first. So Ronald, you had brought this up to me. I thought it was a wonderful idea. What do you have this week for a little bit of this or a little bit of that? Yeah, exactly. So this one, I don't know if it's quite technically this or that, but that kind of the same idea. And, and the, where do you draw the line? in the trade-off between fun to drive versus fast, right? And I guess you could this or that as, would you rather have a car that is more fun to drive or a car that is just really fast? Um, you know, you could put rock hard suspension on a car and it's going to be really fast on the track, but boy, it's going to suck driving it, especially in Michigan <laughs> uh, on our roads here. Um, yeah. So, so where do you draw the line of, eh, I, I think at this point I, I, either rather have something that's more fun to drive versus outright speed, or do you just go full send and I don't care if it sucks or I don't want it to be sure. fast. Well, I think a lot of it has to do on the mentality of the driver and what, what it is that they're, that they want to do um, first of all. But if you want to look at, look at it from a generic standpoint, I think the first thing that you need to go ahead and do is just ask yourself, do you like all wheel drive? Do you like front wheel drive? Or do you like rear wheel drive? And by the way, front wheel drive vehicles are fun as all can be. Um, under the right circumstances, I, yeah. I can say this. I mean, because that many is front wheel drive. So. Yeah, you you have you have a little hatch. I've had a little hatch. Um, they're great. I think the generic answer would be, it depends on the horsepower. It re I think that, and, and I think that's where we've gotten to in 2022. Whether or not you're looking at modern stuff or you're looking at older stuff, right? Um, and the way that the engine response can be. Um, mm -hmm. So if you want to go ahead and look at an engine response, which then for brings in the horsepower and acceleration and blah, blah, blah. I think a 300 to 400 horsepower range is pushing the limits of fun to drive before it gets to the point of we've reached, we've gotten too fast uh, for fun to drive. And sure. the focus has to really come in. Not saying that you wouldn't focus on something to drive, right? On yeah, fun yeah. To, something yeah. fun to drive. But I think, at some point, focus becomes more important than fun. And to me, fun should be more important than focus at times. 
Does that make sense? Yep, it does make sense. I, I think you're saying if you make a car so fast that you really, really have to pay attention to drive to to drive the car at its limit, which is what's fun, right? If the car is so fast that you have to be so paranoid and so focused and paying attention to what's going on that it takes the fun out of it on the street, then I, I would, yeah, I would depend on the car. I, I guess I see what you're getting at with the front drive, the rear drive, all drive. Uh, you know, that there's some cars I can think of where 500 horsepower is fun. And there's some cars I can think of where 500 horsepower would be batshit crazy. No, thank you. Um, so exactly. If, if you gave me a 500 horsepower car that weighed 2000 pounds, I'm gonna tell you right now, I can't do it. Yeah, I, I, I can't. Um, there's a company out in Northern California who um, I think I've told you they, they take sixties uh, British hatchbacks and what they've done is they've put a six cylinder engine in the back of the car and they have made it rear wheel Whoa. drive Ron, and they made it it's 2000 it's 2100 pounds wet um yeah. but not without the driver but even with the driver you're still looking at if you're a 200 horsepower 200 horsepower excuse me a 200 pound person i'm 215 on a good day that's still 2300 pounds that's 500 to the wheels in a car that weighs 2k yeah that's that is absolute insanity absolute yeah. insanity your car is absolute insanity and it's not even two thousand pounds yeah and i can tell you it can be a handful uh, it ha i've seen videos of it's it it's fun but it yes. can be a handful so by the way quick plug please go check out hounds dot and dot horsepower on instagram as well as the one and only jman 19 and more importantly please check out tormenting tarmac on instagram because that is the official instagram of this podcast um but i mentioned you know checking out ron's because ron has footage of him being at Gingerman with the Stingray in 2.0 build, right? Yep. Yep. And I think you, I, I remember a specific video where you, for craps and giggles, you decided to go ahead and give full throttle. And I think you maybe were doing like 75, 80 miles an hour and you spun it immediately. And it, by the way, that's not driver control. It's just, you know, a, a 500 horsepower car that weighs 3000 pounds. You gave it immediate throttle and you lost the rear end. That's yeah, not surprising. If that's, the one, if that's the one that I'm thinking is, it was raining at Grattan. And yeah. I'm, oh, I'm sorry. Grattan, not Gingerman. Yep, I apologize. And I mean, uh, that's fine. Uh, you, it's driver too, because I'm the one who chose to floor it. But uh, I had already had a few laps and it had been wide open throttle. So it's not like I was just like, oh, I'm going to go out and floor it. Like I was working up speed and was just coming down one of the straights there and kind of rolled into the throttle. And whoop, this is true. that was it. So well, you know what? That's Speaking... why you do that on a racetrack. This is true. That is, is, that is why you safe. do it on a racetrack. You're absolutely right. Which actually brings me to another point when it comes to, you know, where is it fun or where is it too fast? Tires. Tires yes. are insanely absolutely. important because you can yes, have something absolutely batshit, right? You, can, you yes. can, but if you have the right set of tires, you can make that fun. Yes. But uh, also, if it, if it can grip. But also, really high performance tires can be. You know, this is this discussion was the trade off of oh, fun yeah. versus fast, and sometimes really high performance tires are dangerous you got the when they're cold. Right, yeah. they're meant to be not driven hard until they're warmed up. Right. Yep. Uh, and I have driven cars on tires like that, and it can, if you're not ready for it, it can be frightening. But it, yep. You do a regular parking lot maneuver, you're not like driving hard or anything, and just like the car spins out on you. Like yeah. I have had that, and and that's where it's like, okay, maybe I don't need a tire that can do 1.3 G, and I'm going to be fine on the tire that can do, God forbid, 1.1, because now I can drive when it's 45 degrees. Up. Right. So, yeah. I mean, the tire technology has become such an amazing thing in the time frames that we are. Of course, um, it it, 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 it the fact that it you know tires can now shave off three to four seconds off a lap is oh, regardless of yeah. whether or not it can only do it for like two before the tires are gone. Um, it, it, the, the point that we've reached to in technology and engineering is completely insane. And I commend everybody for it. But at the same time, dear God, like we, we literally have sticky tires that are barely road legal on some cars, um, whether or not they're brand new from the factory or, you know, you can put them like you could go ahead and put those tires if you wanted to on your 69. Isn't that crazy? That is yep. utter insanity. Yep, It is crazy. Yeah. But um, so to, to, to put a bow on this discussion, if you're looking at it from a number standpoint, 
I think that the perfect weight to horsepower balance for me um, would be somewhere 400 horsepower, 3,500 pounds. Yeah. Make it rear wheel drive. That's a fun car. Yep. You know, and by the way, and it, it doesn't matter of the transmission. I would, I would prefer a stick shift for sure. Um, but I think that transmissions have gotten so good. And even then, if you're looking at an older car, definitely get a stick shift. But just have fun um, and just be sensible when you're driving. I think you can go ahead and really make any car be fun. Yeah, to be yeah. honest. Oh, I agree with that. Yeah. So, but that's a great diss or dat. And we're going to continue to do those more often as we continue to carry on with Tormenting Tarmac. But we got a lot to discuss today, Ronald. Um, and we're going to go ahead and start right now. And the first thing that we want to go ahead and discuss is Tormenting Tarmac is a podcast about driving enthusiasm and what it means to drive, also driving dynamics, learning how to do certain things, and appreciating the car culture more specifically as a whole. Ronald and I, when we first discussed this idea, I had a specific idea, but because of what Ronald does, there were things that we could not discuss. So Ronald and I can't discuss um, new car comparisons. We can't describe, um, go ahead and actually explain to the people yeah. what exactly it is that we can't well, do. Yeah. Well, yeah, so I guess we'll just jump, jump right to it. So I'm an engineer for General Motors. Uh, and so that means that uh, there is, um, what do you call it, implicit bias here. And so uh, we have to be careful what we talk about because for multiple reasons. One, just you know, listening or who are following along, it wouldn't be fair if we were doing car reviews when, well, of course, we would say something good about the GM car and something bad about the competitor, right? So it's just best just to not, not talk about it at all. Uh, and then the second thing is, okay, bias aside, GM pays me to try and make a GM product the best possible. And they aren't paying me to say nice things about the other guys, right? Uh, that doesn't mean that I think other people are good or bad or whatever. It just, so that right there means that Tormenting Tarmac isn't slash can't slash won't be like a new car review media. Like we're not going to review the new, uh, whatever sports car that just came out or what we think about it. Um, it's just, it's too complicated to try and tread the, the uh, bias and mm-hmm. conflict of interest uh, that is there. So, so we're just going to avoid it altogether. So that's why a lot of times on this podcast, when you do hear us talking about stuff that gets close to that, um, you know, we generally leave manufacturing names out um, and we try and avoid reviewing specific cars themselves, but rather focusing on car culture and uh, motorsports and things like that, that are a little more divorced from the OEM level of, of exactly automotive. Yeah. Um, thank you for explaining that. Um, you know, I know that at times I can mention uh, certain manufacturers and I think perhaps what it, that really means is older, like really, really old cars. Um, and even then I still have to tread lightly, but that is a, that was something that we wanted to imply to our audience. Yeah, because we want to so, go ahead and be as exactly. Yeah. We wanted to go ahead and be as um, uh, not, what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, transparent. I'm looking for yes. transparent. Yes. We want to be as transparent as possible, which actually brings us to this phenomenal topic today, because today we're going to go ahead and find out exactly what Ronald does as an automotive engineer for General Motors and what led him to want to do the job that he's doing today that he's actually done now for the last 10 years, which is pretty amazing. Um, now, you know, you work currently for General Motors, this is not your first OEM, which is pretty spectacular in itself. I think that really gives you a a tremendous um, landscape of vision in regards as to perhaps if you're ever listening to this podcast and you were a younger guy or gal, you're in high school or something like that, and you want to follow the trajectory that Ron took, um, this is the podcast tonight. And it's really cool. So now, Ronald, I want to ask you first things first, because you and I, we had a little bit of a deep dive into who we are and whatnot. But tonight, we're going to go ahead and expand on a a little bit on your end. Your favorite car has been, you know, the car that you currently own, which is 1969 Chevrolet Corvette Stingray. What was it 
about the car culture or the car community or cars in general that made you say as a little kid, I want to, I want to build cars for a living and like actually work on the, you know, in, for the manufacturer. Cause you know, you can either be a mechanic or you can have your own performance. Sure, shop, we're going to sure. get into that too, but yeah. yeah what was it? Yeah, that, exactly. No, it's a good question. Um, I, I don't know if I have a really easy year. Um, in third grade, my neighbor who was, I think the same age as me, um, was really big into NASCAR. And at that point, I didn't really know anything about it. Uh, he was a big Jeff Gordon fan. And so I was over at his house and I don't know if we were watching a race or if he had a NASCAR video game on his PlayStation or something. Um, and I caught the bug there. My dad at the time was overseas, uh, serving in Korea. Um, and then he came home and I think at that point I was started to become more interested in cars and my dad is a car guy. Uh, so that kind of helped. And I think I just started asking him questions and I was always a curious kid and just asked and asked and asked and asked questions and learned and learned from there. Uh, and at some point is when I, you know, he, he liked Chevrolets and, and GM cars. Um, and he liked Corvettes. And so at some point I learned what a Corvette was and asked him about it. And I started reading books about them. Um, and that just there, that's where the obsession started, I guess. Um, so, that, so that obsession is that it should not be taken lightly. By <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's maybe a problem sometimes. Um, but you know, then I think about it, I don't know if I initially wanted to work at an OE at one point, I thought that I wanted to work on a NASCAR team. That's what I remember. Uh, and there is That's a, new information to me in our 16 years of friendship, by the way. I yes, never knew that you wanted yeah, to do that. This That's would pretty have awesome. been elementary, middle school-ish, fifth, sixth grade. There, There is a school called uh, oh shoot, UTI, Universal Technical Institute. And this is like, what fifth grader is like looking stuff up like this, but I was, uh, and they have an NASCAR school and it's gotta be North Carolina, but I don't actually know. Uh, and I was like, sweet, that's what I'm going to go do. I'm going to go work on NASCAR. Um, and eventually I learned about what engineering is. And I, I knew, you know, once I started reading about Corvettes, I was like, no, that's what I want to do. I want to make next Corvette. Uh, so that's what I'm trying to get to. <laughs> no, for sure. It's so interesting because, you know, you hear the word engineering and engineering can go ahead and be taken in so many different ways. You have automotive oh, yeah. engineering, you've got mechanical engineering, you've got aircraft engineering. Um, <laughs> I know somebody who's currently wanting to be an engineer so he can go ahead and build planes, not fix them, but build them, which I yeah, think is amazing. Um, and for those of you who don't know, Ron is also a huge aerospace uh, enthusiast. Yep. Um so you could have gone that route. So the fact that you decided to go ahead and stick with cars, I find fascinating because, you know, a lot of people who are enthusiasts, myself included, have at some point maybe told themselves, oh, I kind of want to work in cars. But, you know, not everybody goes down that route. What made you say, I'm going to go there, you know, where when you when you had so many different routes that you could have done with engineering? What was it that really tugged at your heart that said, you know, I love cars so much that I'm going to just stick with it. Yeah. Um, I, it's just everything about them. Um, I, I, I don't know why I'm just fascinated. I, I like, how do I say, I like everything about cars. I just do like planes are cool, but like what I, or, or aerospace is cool. But like, I like like the 60 space race and I like, um, you know, the cutting edge technology stuff, but like commercial airliners, yeah. Not really, but like car stuff, like, yeah, obviously I really like sports cars, but you know what, all the, all the engineering and science that goes into fuel economy also I'm really interested in. Yeah. Um, it, it's like every facet of automotive for whatever reason, I just enjoy it. It's Matt gets my gears turning in my head, no pun intended, but pun intended. Uh, it just clicks. It's just so easy for me to be interested in. I'm kind of one of those people where I have, these interests or obsessions that come and go, like I've always got the next thing that I'm like really interested about, but then I'll kind of lose interest and move on to the next thing. But cars are the one thing that it never has gone away. And just always, and I wish I had an answer of this is exactly what it is, but I think it's not that this is exactly what it is. It's that there's so much uh, breadth and, and areas within it 
that uh, it's just keeps me completely occupied. So that is such a fantastic answer. Um, I want a follow up question to that, Ronald, because you know you would you would think that most automotive engineers tend to be car enthusiasts. I, I think that a a large if almost it's it's one of those few times that um, people are enthusiasts of the things that they do when it comes to that specific workload. Um, so I guess the question to you is, have, you know, in the 10 years, so 10 years of doing the job plus four years of going to college and two years at when you, when you got your master's, cause I know you have your master's mm-hmm. in, um, uh, also in engineering, if I'm not mistaken, yep. Yep. um, you know, shout out to K- Kettering, right? Kettering is my undergrad and Oakland university was my master's. Yeah. It's freaking rad. Um, do you ever feel that because you work in that environment so much, does it ever affect your enthusiasm for, for cars? Uh, thankfully, no, not really. Um, yes, every job has, uh, you know, days where they aren't the best. And yes, there are days that I come home and I'm glad that I'm at home now. Um, but 99.999% of the time, no. But I am, like I said, obsessed and I'm crazy. I know that that is not all automotive engineers. For some of them, it is just a job that puts puts food on the table and they, you know, maybe are from the Detroit area. And so that's what a lot of engineering jobs here are. Uh, but I would say many of my coworkers, especially now that I'm in more of the performance area of the company, are are like-minded as far as obsessed. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm lucky in that aspect. I, I recognize that. So, yeah, I... You would think like, man, you work on cars all day. Why do you want to come home and think about your Corvette? But yeah. nope. Well, actually, it's kind of it's kind of dumb a lot. I catch myself. I'll be at work and I'll be thinking about what I want to do with my vet, and then I'll be working my vet. And I'll be thinking about stuff at work, and it's like, stop. But yeah, it's it's so funny that you mentioned the vet because that, that was actually one of the questions that I had listed down, and I'll go ahead and I'll move into that now because have you felt in you, you, you've worked as an automotive engineer for the last 10 years. Um, you've worked at GM now for about six or seven of them. Does that sound right? Yeah. Since 2015. So seven. Okay. So yeah. seven years. Yeah. Um, and prior to that, you worked at FCA at Fiat Chrysler, yep. um, which is yep. now uh, Stellantis, um, yep. which is awesome. The fact that you've been able to go ahead and work at two different OEMs. That's incredible in, sh- in such a short time span. And it's even cooler. The fact that you work for the, for a brand, that you have loved and adored since you were a little kid. Like that's where it's like, yes. that's where you really yes. get me. Like you literally made your dream happen. And I admire yes. you so much for that. But I got to ask you in particular that because you are building this really rad vehicle of, of yours, have you ever, have you felt that, and this would be an obvious answer, but I'm curious to know the other half of it. You know, I wanted to ask how working for the OEM has helped you with the building of your Corvette and perhaps how the building of your Corvette has helped you understand better things with the OEM and perhaps say, Oh yeah. Well, Ronald maybe knows a little bit more something than, than what they're doing, or perhaps you have learned something wrong and you're like, Oh, GM and perhaps the other brand helped me build my own car better. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. 100% both of those things for sure. So, um, I quote unquote tuned, I would say the word calibrated, same thing. I tuned the engine on my Corvette from scratch um, uh, with a standalone engine. An LS3 for a crate motor, for those of you who are asking. Yep. Uh, And, you know, all the fuel injection and and spark and all that stuff, did it myself uh, and absolutely in part did that because I was an engine calibrator at one point for GM. Um, So, and so there's all kinds of things in the way that I did that, that are because I was an engineer and did that professionally made my personal car better. Um, and then, yes, absolutely. There are things that, uh, because I have a more hands-on performance background, uh, in my personal life that make things professionally as an engineer, uh, I think better as well. Um, you know, I will say that in, in the automotive, this is not just a GM-specific thing. There are definitely engineers who are very academically strong, but maybe not so hands-on uh, background strength, right? 
Uh, and uh, that for sure shows up depending on the type of job that you're doing. Uh, that for sure shows up because you will have to make uh, choices, especially if you're doing things very analytic, uh, virtually, you know, an analysis, like simulation type stuff on a computer where you don't have the hands-on feel feedback of something. Um, and you are designing parts, specking out hardware, whatever, um, having the hands-on background, the sanity check of, yes, this makes sense. This would work well, or for X, Y, Z reasons, this is maybe a bad idea. Um, absolutely has helped that, uh, yeah, that I, you know, am into cars outside of work. Absolutely. You know, we'll, we'll stick. It's so cool. The fact that you're building your own and you go ahead and work for an OEM at the same time, yeah, that, yeah. you know, and I'm sure yeah. that there's a lot of engineers who probably do the same, but I got to ask, and do you find more satisfaction in having now in the third version of your own respective car, right? Um, three Version 3.0, as we affectionately call it. Do you find more satisfaction in that? Or do you find more satisfaction in working on a project that is set to go nation or worldwide for consumers all over the world? Oh, man, that's a good... I think I get more satisfaction from what I do at work. And the reason is uh, I know that I have made it good enough uh, and I don't want to say good enough, like, oh, it's fine. But like, I know I have made it so good that people like it and people are happy with it. And either it keeps our customers safe or our customers have fun or saves our customers money or whatever. Um, and, you know, that, yes, it's like literally going into hundreds of thousands, if not more cars. Uh, and like, I finished it and I did a good job. That is more satisfying. And, and it's not that it's, I don't do a good job on my personal cards that I, I think I will never be with my personal car. It's almost a problem. I am always finding ways that I want that to be better. Uh, well, it's funny that you mentioned that because if you would have been satisfied with your Corvette, you would have gone ahead and left it with the suspension that you had on there before moving exactly. over to yep. the C5, C6 exactly. suspension yep. build that you're doing exactly. now. Yep. Um, because your car, what your car was terrific before you decided to tear it all apart again and be like, I'm going this See, route. That's now. just it. Like you think it was terrific. And I think a lot of people thought it was terrific. And every time I drove it, I was like, no, this isn't what I want it to be. <laughs> Which is totally fine because so, you yeah. had that old school suspension and you wanted something more manageable, something that could actually handle yeah. the modern powertrain that you have in yeah. there. You need, you need, at some point you need to have modern suspension. So yeah. The biggest thing is something that can better handle modern. Cause we were talking about tires earlier in this podcast and that's yeah. really what it is. So that's, that's awesome. But it is very, it is very interesting. And I think, I think I can speak for you that you do get great joy to know that the spectator or the consumer has an appreciation for the things that you've either worked on yourself as part of a project or your company has, yeah. has brought mm -hmm. out to the, to the public. Um, I'm not going to mention specific things, but I know that, multiple times I have reached out to you after GM has released a product and I'm like, Ron, this is incredible. Congratulations to you and the team, man. Like, that's awesome. And I know that you genuinely get great joy out of that because it's like people are appreciating the hard work. And that's the thing to hard work, the long hours, yes. the long years, not months, yes. years that these projects take in order yes. to go ahead and go into full development. And so, um, when I say those things to you, I'm not only saying it because you're my friend, but I'm also saying it because I know I can only imagine the things that you and other people, whether or not they were on the respective team, have probably had to go through in order for this to go ahead and get greenlit and finally get out to the public after years and years. So again, once more, always the most congratulations on anything that you do. I, I want to ask you, because you've worked at two different places, um, are there any respective like projects that you would say that you've worked on over the last few years that you're, that you're really, really proud of. I, I remember when you were at one point, you told me you worked on a specific car. I geeked out. I was like, Oh my God, I fangirled over it. Um, but I'm curious to know what project has been something that you truly cherish or um, are just really proud of that the people either appreciate or may not appreciate. And you want them to appreciate them. More. Yeah, sure. Man, it's a lot. Um, my, my, first project at uh first i guess job at gm was in simulation analysis uh 
doing fuel economy and performance simulation work, kind of designing an engine. Uh, an engine technically is not public yet, uh, one of them. But the, the uh, I got to say this carefully, the strides in both performance and fuel economy uh, for this engine are insane. Uh, and that is something that, that was definitely proud of because that was a lot of work. Um, so that was cool. Um, and then I guess what I'm working on now, I'm, I'm pretty really excited about. So right now I do, it's called chassis controls. So traction control, stability control, ABS, that kind of stuff uh, for the new Chevy EV Equinox and Blazer. Um, and those are both at least GM has said publicly those vehicles exist, so I can at least say that much. Um, uh, and that is really cool. And those are insanely cool products that are coming. Um, and I can't wait for more information to be public about those. Um, so that's something that I'm really proud of because I, I, even though it's not done yet, um, I see, I know what it's going to be. And it's just so insane. Um, and I have to also admit, you know, at FCA, I, I did some stuff on the Viper program. That was obviously insanely cool. Uh, and That's I what I geeked of, out. I, yeah, I, I didn't exactly. want to mention it until you did, but that was something that you told me. And when it, actually, if I'm not mistaken, this would have been 2013, 2014 timeframe, right around there, 2013. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. Uh, you know, small tidbit of information with me. I worked at a Dodge dealership at yep. that exact time. So yep. it was interesting, not trade, not insider trade information. No, but I knew of things that were perhaps coming because I'd read up on things and, and Ron was always hush hush. He's always been hush hush with me. For those of you who think that I get information beforehand, I don't. Ron always sends the, uh, the demon emoji every time. It's very frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, when you told me that you had done stuff for the Viper, um, I had a moment of like pause, like my, my, one of my best friends is, is, is an absolute G. Um, so I'm so happy that you mentioned that because, um, it's just a cool project and all the projects that you've worked on over the last like eight or nine years have been tremendous. Um, I gotta ask you this because I'm sure that a lot of people who are not in the industry would want to know this and you would be the perfect person to ask, what are some of the perks that you've been able to enjoy as a member of the General Motors team or as a previous member of perhaps FCA, if you're yeah, allowed to talk yeah. about that. And also, if it's okay, what would you say are perhaps some of the disadvantages of sure. working for an OEM? So let's start with the perks and then we'll go ahead yeah. and have you go into the dis into the disadvantages. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the cool to me is I know everything that's coming, at least from GM. Uh, I shouldn't say everything. I technically probably don't know everything. I know a lot. Uh, you know, as, as an employee, depending on what group you're in and where and how you interface with product, you get to see a lot of stuff that's in the pipeline. Um, and so I see, you know, especially when I was an analyst, it was really cool. I was working on stuff that was almost 10 years out, um, which is just crazy. Um, and so that is, I think, a cool perk. Um, obviously, depending on your job, a cool perk is is getting to drive cool cars. Um not all jobs, not all engineers get to do that. Um, it depends on what they do. Um, but uh, in my current job, you know, like today, I was literally sliding snow in, in SUVs. Uh, and, and it was just a blast. Um, you know, how could you not have fun on days like that? Um, or, you know, another cool perk too, specifically as an engineer, if you're into this kind of stuff, is like literal world-class labs. You know, sometimes I think people think of car companies or the big three and they think for whatever reason, antiquated old stuff. And that's not at all. It's very legitimate, cutting edge, secret research type stuff that's going on. Uh, and getting to work in those facilities is extremely cool um, for people like me, at least. By the way, can you, um, since you're talking about this, you talked about the road courses and stuff like that. Are you able to go ahead and talk about the level of, um, you've told me this in the past, but talk about the level of uh, licenses that you, that uh, you as a working for an OEM um, have to get in order to go ahead and drive certain speed limits. Um, yeah, in testing? Yep, exactly. So the way, the way uh, it is at, at GM uh, and I'll keep it a little generic just in case um, is there's just different levels of, if you need to drive cars on our 
there's different levels of like driver's license uh, that range from the base level where like you're allowed to drive building to building, I guess. Uh, and then kind of a, a secondary level, which is what most engineers have. And then you're driving cars with very much within their limits. We say within the linear range of the vehicle. Um, and that's what most people are. And that's like, maybe you're an NVH engineer or, uh, you know, certain engine or transmission calibrators. You're not doing anything, you know, crazy in the limits of the vehicle. Like, for example, let's say you have to calibrate start stop on a, on an engine. Um, you don't need to drive a limit for that. Right. Um, so that's kind of that level, but you're allowed to drive just about any car. You just can't do everything in every car. Right. Uh, and then from there, it just progressively ramps up in seriousness of, uh, so like I have a driver's license level where I'm allowed to drive cars at and past the limit because I work on the controls that keep the car safe at and past the limit. Right. Um, so I'm allowed uh, you know, to drive, depending on the, I'm allowed to drive up to a certain vehicle speed, which is into triple digits. So in most of the products I'm on, they're VMAX, we call it uh, the top car. You know, I actually do tests at top speed of the car. Um, I actually do tests that are uh, like evasive maneuvers, like you're going down the freeway at 80 miles an hour and you have to swerve out of your lane because a deer jumped out in front of you or something like that. Like you have to make sure the car doesn't spin out and it's safe. Or like if you've heard of the moose test, if you haven't, go look it up on YouTube. Like that's something, you know, maneuver that can do. Uh, so my license allows me to do that. Um, and then there's licenses for like being, a, being allowed to drive like on, on certain racetracks like VIR. Uh, and then the last level, you're allowed to like go drive on General Motors' behalf at the Gerberg Ring and stuff like that. So I'm going to assume that that's an end goal. Yes, that'd be, <laughs> that'd be an end goal. Yep. All right. I actually had a question where I want to ask what the end goal is. I'm not going to get to it yet. I'm, I want to finish the podcast with that question, but um, that's awesome. Uh, Cause you told me that about the, the, uh, a few months ago and I should have probably known that, that you probably had to do something like that, but it never really clicked. Um, and so, you know, VMAX for most modern cars that are not sports cars are somewhere around the 120, 130 mile mark. Um, yeah. Yep. Right around there. So you're allowed to drive at that speed in order to yes. test that. By the way, we, we are saying this right now. The, to the Tormenting Tarmac does not condone Bingo. excessive speed. Thank you. Yep. Um, whether or yep. not the two of us separately, completely disassociated from General Motors and from Tormenting Tarmac approve of it is an entirely different story. And I'm not going to speak behalf, on behalf of Ron. I'll just speak on behalf of myself and say nothing. I move yep. on. Uh, <laughs> my other question to you is the second part of that are um, perhaps some of the disadvantages yeah, of having yeah. worked for both OEMs in the past. The, the yeah, one in the exactly. Past and now the one. Yeah. So, so, you know, there's a couple of different ways to answer that. The reality is these companies are huge companies. And so you inevitably have things, um, you know, the advantage of like working for a small company, like I thought about going to work for a small hot rod shop or something like that is you're in some respect, your own boss, you can kind of do whatever you want. Um, Hell, I've even brought up to you to go ahead and actually open up hounds and horsepower motors. Yeah, on exactly. A multitude of occasions. Yep. Um, you kind of get to do a lot of things, right? Uh, versus big corporate stuff like IMA chassis controls engineer. And even though it's an insanely cool job and there is actually a decent amount of, you know, breadth within that job, it is at the end of the day, I'm a chassis controls engineer and will be for, you know, a time span of years, right? Probably not decades, but well, certainly not decades, but, you know, probably minimum three years type of deal. Typically job the GM leads are like, Typically you have a job at least every three years at a time. Um, so like, yeah, like, oh, this job over here looks really cool, but like I have to be doing this job because that's what I'm currently employed to do for them, right? So kind of the bigger corporate type stuff like that. Uh, I would say, especially GM compared to Chrysler, uh, GM I think is a lot better about having less of the corporate BS. Like if you think of the Dilbert comic, uh, comic strip, where he works in some big corporation and his boss just sucks and everybody's a number. Uh, thankfully, that is not really the case at GM. Um, other things too is sometimes people outside looking in just assume like, oh, I get to just those are this test tracks and I get to just go hop in a brand new Corvette and go do donuts and burnouts and race cars all day long. And like, no, I'm not just nobody. It's just allowed to just go do that. Um, so, so in that aspect, like. 
yeah, I'll walk out in the parking lot every day and see all these badass sports cars, but I don't get to just go have fun because, because, uh, and so it's almost like a tease, right? Um, I don't even know if you would call that a con. It's kind of a first world problem. Um, I would definitely say it's more of a first world problem. I would have told, <laughs> I would have expected you to say a disadvantage is perhaps knowing all the cool stuff that is coming down the pipeline and not be allowed to talk about it. And I'm yeah. assuming that's got to yeah. be a disadvantage, especially when someone like me is bugging the absolute hell out of oh, you. Yeah. Like, bro, is yeah. this true? And you'd be like, no comment. Um, and even then, you don't even say no comment. You just don't answer. Um, here's a question that just popped into my head. And what do you prefer? Do you prefer to make a car go fast via the engine? Or do you prefer the car? Do you prefer to help make the car go fast oh, via suspension components and, and chassis control? Fudge, man. That's, I, I, I want to say both. Um, I, I figured it'd be a tough one because you, you have the best of both worlds when it comes to your own personal build, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'll say this from a raw technical engineering aspect. Uh, I think it's more enjoyable from, from the engineering standpoint, the engine calibration side, um, squeezing everything out. Um, but like, as I'm saying that I'm second guessing it, um, man, I don't know if I can answer that. Cause now I'm like, well, but that's not necessarily true. Um, I mean, both are, both are insanely awesome. Um, nope. I don't think I, man, I, I don't want to cop out and say, I no, can't no, 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 it's okay. Well, I mean, I would have, it's, I would have really expected you to go ahead and probably say making things go quicker via handling and chassis because of currently what it is that you're doing to your own car well, right now because, that's what i'm yeah th- that's what i'm trying to like yeah i'm having the internal uh myself is like well don't just say chassis stuff because that's what you're doing right now in this specific moment because like of course you would want to say that but um the reality i don't have i don't know how to say it. well not, not not to help not to help or make it worse but i can say this perhaps and maybe this will go ahead and sway your answer I've always felt, and maybe you can go ahead and school me on it, but I feel that it is harder to go ahead and make a car go faster around the corners or just in general via suspension than it is to go ahead and continuously throw horsepower at an engine. And to me, anytime that I've seen someone make a car go much faster just by changing the suspension setup, changing up the spring setup, um, you know, dynamic chassis changes, anything of that nature, I feel like, wow, you made that go four seconds quicker around this track by doing these things and not even touching your engine. Like I oh, find yeah. that pretty mind blowing. I, I on uh, how do I say a personal or aftermarket standpoint, I wholeheartedly agree with you there. But the thing about it at an OE level is the challenge to make high horsepower engines in, you know, be emissions compliant uh, and get 30 miles to the gallon in seven exactly, get in 30 a miles, 450 yeah. horsepower sports exactly. car. Exactly. I, and drive yeah, I also get good start vibes out of that whole day. There, there are, there are trade-off challenges like that on the chassis side. Absolutely. There are, but when you're on say like a performance product, um, you know, like a Corvette or an SS vehicle or something like that, uh, it's a little easier to do those trade-offs uh, because the customer wants them, right? Like, okay, they're fine if the car is a little, uh, has, you know, a little more aggressive dampers um, or they're fine if their tuning has a little bit, you know, of more vehicle rotation at the limit because that's what they want, right? Um, but that customer may not realize it you know, they might not, I'll say this, they think they don't want the emissions or they think care about how the car starts up on a cold morning or whatever, whatever. Uh, but the reality is they think that until they don't have it and they realize, oh, wow, this really sucks, right? And so the constraints on the engine side are a lot harder to meet. I, I think they're harder to meet those constraints uh, and still the high performance um, on a performance vehicle. Uh, and, and so to me, that, that, that's why I say I would rather like making speed that way is what's really interesting. Um, 
but as as we see, you know, it takes both because there are competitors out there who have high horsepower engines and terrible chassis, and their cars are slow around the track. Um, and there are competitors out there who what have exactly you could be yes. talking about. <laughs> and there are there are, and that's why that's this is exactly why slippery slope on Tormenta Carmack. We try not to get into the new car stuff. Um, there are cars out there that are amazing chassis and handle extremely well, and they don't have any power, and so they're still slow around the track. So it takes both. Uh, it does. So, yep. I, I think you answered it as best as you possibly could. And I'll, I'll take that answer, Ron. I will. Um, I want to go ahead and wrap this up because I think it's been a terrific conversation that we've had. And there, there were so many more questions that I wanted to go ahead and get to. And perhaps maybe we can go ahead and do a second part on our following episode to kind of finish this up. But uh, I guess I think this is the question that I want to end it on is because I, I think you kind of answered it earlier when you said that you went to Oakland for your master's, you went to Kettering for your undergrad. Um, and, you know, if you were ever to think, oh, what, what, I, what should I do? Well, you know, you know, auto shop in high school would be, first of all, a really good idea for you to go ahead and start in. Um, and then looking at engineering programs at different universities. And then once you've gotten your engineering, your feet in the engineering pool, then looking at the variety of different engineering aspects that you can go in, whether or not it's automotive or mechanical or anything like that, and then choosing to go in that route. And then uh, what would you say um, internships at different of the OEMs or at different shops, Ronald, would probably go ahead and help you out? So I guess what's the question is like, what's the best way to, to get to be an engineer or? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like you said, you know, do, do things uh, in high school that you can. So like auto shop is a good one, like you said, um, or if your school has engineering programs, um, like first robotics is a good one. I don't know. We didn't have high school in Arizona. I don't know if they have them out there now. It's definitely popular in the Midwest. Um, things like that uh you know hands-on experience and then when you do get to college uh if you want to do the performance stuff formula sae is a good thing to get involved in so that's uh a student uh formula race car that's made uh the students um for sae society of automotive engineers and they do races and stuff like that um and then yeah internships in applicable things so suppliers or oems or performance shops. Um, and even if you don't want to get into the OEM side of automotive engineering, if you want to get into racing um, or just, let's say, not even automotive, but aerospace, whatever, uh, things like that, um, getting getting a hands-on background um, in high school and then getting engaged in extracurriculars in college um, that give you the networking and the uh, technical, you know, experience. Um is is probably the way to go uh, what was cool about kettering right in my undergrad example it's called a co-op program school for three months and then you have a co-op engineering job for three months i worked at borg warner who makes uh, uh transmission components engine components turbochargers things like that um and you just at that school you just rotate back and forth every three months until you graduate and so you graduate with you know the equivalent of two to three years of engineering experience and that's a really good way a lot of young people and rightfully so complain about how uh employers want you know you'll see a posting for an entry-level job or an entry-level pay but it says three to five years experience which is just a bunch of bs right uh and so the co-op school uh kind of is the ticket to defeat that problem because now you are graduating with years of of engineering experience so long story short, it's, it's, yeah, get involved early. Um, a lot of the stuff, especially at the high school and, and sometimes the collegiate level is, is free. Um, so it's not like you, uh, need to have some wealthy background to be able to do this stuff. Um, and, then, and then I would also say too, college, unfortunately is expensive and it's, it's a shame. And it's also a shame that our society thinks everybody needs to go to college, but if you do want to do engineering and if it's a career path you're interested in and it is a good career path, um, don't be too alarmed by the cost of a degree. It depends where you go to school are insane, but the more reasonable ones, uh, the return on investment is, is definitely there. 
So, yeah. And I would say, I think that for the most part, um, working at an OEM and I'm not speaking for yourself, but I can only imagine doing the things that you do because you are one of very few people that can actually do something like that does pay well at some point. So you do get the dividends of being able to go ahead and getting paid well after a couple of years of being out of school and working for an OEM um, and whatnot. And you get an amazing benefits and, and, and whatnot. And yeah, exactly. I'm yep. sure it's it, not just General Motors. I'm sure it's just a, a worldwide thing. And that, that should be something that needs to be said. Yep, exactly. And, and as proof of that, you know, I tried to get a job when I graduated and long story short, it just didn't work out for right opportunities didn't come at the right times. Uh, and so I had, I took the opportunity that I had on the table, which is the one at Chrysler. Uh, and that was to do, you know, performance fuel economy simulation stuff. Um, and it was kind of a lucky, lucky opportunity because that did give me experience to your point is hard to find. So then when a similar job opened up at GM, you know, that they were hiring externally because it's so hard to find that experience. Um, I had that direct experience at one of their competitors and that paid out well for me. Uh, you know, not just financially, but, but career wise, right. That was not only getting my foot in the door at the place to work, it was getting my foot in the door in a desirable job uh, because I, I had hard to find experience. This has been a terrific conversation and it's a, it's, it's a shame that I have to end it, but I know that you have a very long, you've had a long day. It's also cold as all balls out there. And uh, my wife is letting me know that my toddler is ready to go to bed as are my other two. So I do have to cut the conversation short, but Ronald and I will be back in episode seven and maybe i'll get a chance to go ahead and ask the leftover questions that i want to ask him one of them in particular having to do with motorsport and the auto manufacturers um and how what his thoughts are on that and perhaps whether or not it's it pays dividends for the oems or it doesn't pay the dividends and maybe i can get something out of him um at least from his perspective but ron i want to thank you for being so completely transparent in this conversation it was something that i've been meaning to talk to you about for years and i'm glad that we finally got the platform in order to go ahead and do so and i hope that this has been a very educational conversation um for anybody who's interested in what it's like to perhaps work as an automotive engineer for an oem or perhaps you know helping someone get their you know foot in the door uh or perhaps on the right path um because it is an incredibly uh i would hope emotionally and um psychologically rewarding career um in particular yep. if that's what you love you know if you're if you are uh, in love with car culture and automotive enthusiasm if you've got the opportunity to work for one of the world's biggest oems and you have the talent to do so you'd be an idiot not to take advantage of it so um thank you once more for giving me the opportunity and being so open and honest about your experiences for working with General Motors, as well as for Fiat Chrysler, now Stellantis. Um, it's, uh, I really appreciate that. Um, we got a lot of good stuff, but again, thank you so much. I want to thank everybody for taking a shot again at episode six. We appreciate it so much. We hope that you've been able to enjoy this wonderful riveting conversation between myself and Ronald. Um, go ahead and check out Ron on Instagram at hounds.and.horsepower. You can go ahead and catch me at the one and only jman19 on instagram and more importantly please check out tormenting tarmac on instagram and of course give us a like uh give us a five-star rating on apple Podcasts. we'd greatly appreciate it you can check us out on apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, stitcher radio public we're also on the anchor application um and we want to thank you all so much for your support and we'll look forward to talking to you guys next time on behalf of ron morris my name is jorge aquino this has been tormenting tarmac the podcast where the enthusiast never dies. Have a great day, everybody.